There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM Podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Guys, it's the holidays. For those of you who celebrate Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah. For those of you who celebrate anything else or just December's, (laughs) happy holidays, everyone. It's been one hell of a year, but like so many things are coming together, which is so nice. Wrapping up work. There's a vaccine that's getting distributed. Holy shit. Um, All these things are sort of coming together at the end of the year. It's so nice. It's so necessary. And it's, it's, I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as we are. Um, Super excited to wrap this year up with um, such a bang. We launched our membership, guys. I know I talked about it last week. It's going so strong. The enthusiasm that we're getting from everybody is killer. Um, We've got more castings coming out because members are taking advantage of the casting services we're offering as part of the membership. So that means more talent and agents are getting work from our group. We're having more recruitment opportunities going out because those are also benefits and people are signing up as membership members and, and redeeming them. Anyways, it's like a cyclical thing. It's so exciting to just see all this activity and um, I am just, I'm so excited to be ramping things up so much. I'm also not sleeping this week because we have three events, including one that is a two day long event this week. Um, I don't know what I was smoking when I scheduled this. I, I, I have no idea. Um, we have uh, t- Tuesday, which is the day that this uh, episode's being released. We have an, our monthly networking event. Those are kind of my favorite events, to be completely honest with you. It's just such a nice opportunity and such a chill virtual environment to like connect with you women who are part of this group and just get to know you guys a little bit better and just have like a nice hour of like Um, asking questions about things that are relevant to the industry or like if we're not getting, you know, into business so hard, just like getting to know everyone on a human level. So I miss the days when you could just grab a coffee with somebody and that's what these networking events are for. Um, For members, they're always free. Um, For anyone else who's not a member, it's 15 bucks. Like hop on for an hour. It's the best 15 bucks you will spend for sure. Then we have the encore event of our Influencer Tech Demo Day. We had this a couple weeks ago and it was such a success. And I wanted to present the encore, especially only for our members. So this encore is going live only in the Facebook group starting Wednesday and Thursday of this week. 
Um, and when you're in there, we've got most of the companies are also now offering some discounts on this software only to WIM members and you can only view this content if you're in our private Facebook community which is of course one of the many benefits of becoming a member so again like we're wanting to do more stuff like this for sure members only discounts members only content this event was so good. Um, I also, you know, I geek out over this stuff. Like the tech demos were so good. Um, and you get to review all their offerings, like compare them all. Um, it'll be in the Facebook groups. You can also this time like start from the beginning. If you're, you know, hopping on a call and you're like, oh shoot, I want to watch that demo, but I got to hop on a call. You can rewind. You could fast forward. These are the perks of it being now on Facebook. Um, so we're doing that this week, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, all you have to do is be in the Facebook group to check it out oh and then there's also those one-on-one conversations that you could set up with each company after you're like oh crap that demo was so good I want to see if I actually like if I could work with this company and and use their software um and remember you are going to get discounts guys like promo codes um so that is awesome and then the last event this week as if those aren't enough SAG-AFTRA, guys. So SAG-AFTRA is a union that it has jurisdiction over a ton of like super high value commercial shoots and video shoots and all sorts of stuff. So um, I used to work in that world. I used to, I come from the world of commercials. I happen to know a lot about SAG-AFTRA. A lot of people in WIM don't. Um, yet more and more campaigns and projects are under SAG jurisdiction. If all this sounds like mumbo jumbo, then you should definitely come to this event. (laughs) Basically what it is, is it's an opportunity to learn all about these union rules and they're very, very strict and stringent old school rules. And um, you have to follow them if your shoot falls under their jurisdiction. So if you've been exposed to this a little bit or you have no idea what I'm talking about and you work for an agency or you represent talent that might, you know, come into contact with a SAG after shoot one day, you just don't want to be caught off guard and not know anything about what's going on. So this is just going to be a really educational, wonderful educational event um, from Shane Griffin, who works at SAG after um, and, and knows everything that there is Uh and like there's a lot to know so come with a pad and paper uh come with a pencil or a pen or you know like type notes because I think that's what people do these days Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about here (laughs) so um I don't know whatever some people like color coding things too and writing it out with their hand I don't know anyways it's gonna be a great event um no matter how you take notes okay okay um Anyways, this uh, week is going to be insane. I'm super excited. It's going to be such a nice way to end the year. Um, So I can transparently sign off for a couple weeks and actually enjoy some R&R. This week's podcast episode is so good, guys. This is Anita Sharma. Um, We've connected, I don't know, earlier in 2020. uh, She was recommended to me as a lawyer in the space that I should connect with. And I am so happy that I did. Um, She's incredibly knowledgeable. She's, this is all that their firm does. Like, they specialize in this stuff. Um, They have incredible clients from all over the spectrum, to influencers, to brands, agencies. Um, They are doing so much in the space. And uh, if you are a member of WIM, here is the key listen in right now. 
you're tuning out. Listen in. Okay. <laughs> if you're a member, log in to the website, IamWim.com. That's double I.com. Navigate to resources and then top picks. Top picks are our list of like influencer tech tools, PR people we recommend, and also lawyers like Anita and her firm Sharma Law, who's offering our members 10% off of all of their firm's fees if you use the special promo code that's listed on our website um, and how to get in touch with her and all that jazz. So um, yet another perk of being a member. Guys, like, I don't know. I I love discounts. I'm all about shopping at like a Marshall's TJ Maxx because it is way better when you find something awesome and you get a discount. That's kind of what this is. Anita is so great. She doesn't have to give a discount, guys. Like, she just really believes in women. It's mission. Um, And I personally want to connect her with people who could really use her services. So anyways, 10% off, guys. Go and become a member. You can take advantage of things like that. Um, And enjoy this podcast episode because you'll see why I think she's amazing. So um, without further ado, enjoy and happy, happy holidays. Anita K. Sharma is the founder and managing partner of Sharma Law PLLC. Sharma Law specializes in entertainment law, digital media, talent representation, intellectual property, production legal services, and corporate and commercial law, and is founded on providing practical legal advice that enables enhanced creative freedom and control on the part of the client. Anita's passionate about the business behind art and working with artists and creative companies. While building her law practice, she attended film school and produced films that premiered at major festivals such as the Toronto Film Festival. Her legal and creative expertise gives her a unique perspective and skill set that few entertainment attorneys have. She is awesome and we are so excited to welcome her this week. Welcome Anita. A fellow Brooklynite, um, we're talking all things Brooklyn before we even started recording. Um, but we heard a little bit about you in the intro to this episode. First and foremost, you know, I'm so happy to have you on and thank you. But I think it's always just so beneficial for our listeners to hear about you in your own words. Um, everybody comes from influencer marketing in such variable ways. So I would love for everyone to hear from you a little bit about how you started specializing in influencer marketing and how you made it to where you are today. Sure. Well, first off, um, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and I, uh, I appreciate the invitation and I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing with women in influencer marketing. I think it's great that you're doing this podcast. So it is, uh, it's a pleasure to be speaking to you um, today. So thanks. As far, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, let's see. It's, uh, so I've been practicing for a long time. I'm going to, I'm going to date myself here. It's been, um, been over 15 years. So definitely was not doing influencer marketing work for that long, Um uh, when I, you, what did you start with? Did you start yeah, in any specific area? I did. So I always wanted to be an entertainment lawyer, which is what I am. And there was just never any question in my mind. When I was in law school, that's what I wanted to do. I actually thought about becoming an agent as well for a while. I loved negotiating. I loved working in, you know, creative industry. So I did, uh, I went the lawyer route as opposed to the agent route, which I am, I am happy about today. I think that was the right choice, but 
It started in film and TV, you know, back in the day when there was no digital media world and worked mostly in indie film. Um, I So I'm Canadian. I started my career off in Toronto and then moved to New York. And, you know, New York at that time in, in the early 2000s was really the center of indie film. And that was really exciting. And it was it was an amazing place to be. And that was when Miramax was here and Focus Features and all of these uh, good machine, all of these amazing indie film companies. And so that's that's how I got my start. And so I was in New York until uh, about 2008. And, you know, at that time, God, it's so long ago now, but at, at that time, the economy really crashed. It was a terrible time. And so I had to figure out, like, well, am I staying in New York or what, what do I want to do? And I was really interested in producing. I was really interested in working on in, in film and, in a you know, as a producer. So I ended up going home to Canada, going to film school, learning producing, uh, came out of that, produced a short film that premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, uh, produced a feature that got picked up by E1 and distributed. And so started working in that world. And then I realized that, you know, although independent producing was incredibly fun, it's also was a huge challenge. And it was, I realized, you know, the day to day of producing, I didn't love, but what I loved was the business and the legal behind the art. And I was like, that's, that's where I need to be. And I think for me, I needed to experience that producing world. And I, I still want to do some producing more of an, an executive producer capacity, but but I did it and experienced it and loved it, but realized that wasn't where my true passion was. So I uh, went back to practicing law and long story short, 2013 got my first influencer client who happened to be uh, huge and just lucked out. And that's how I was introduced to the world. And so, you know, I've been doing this really, I think 2013 was really sort of the tipping point when things really started to take off in the world of digital media, in the world of influencers. And so, you know, it was really exciting. I mean, it still remains exciting to this day because I think it's it's the Wild West in a way. You know, there's we're setting the precedents, like working in this industry because there are no precedents. So that's that's really exciting for me. And that's, you know, the very roundabout way that I got into um, working mostly in digital media. Well, it's a pretty cool path. Um, it sounds like you, you know, do you, did you grow up in entertainment? Like, it seems like you were very decided that you wanted to be in entertainment in some capacity. So where does that come from? So funny enough, uh, it's the exact opposite. I grew up in, it's my background is East Indian. Um, a lot of my uh, fellow cultural people can, will be able to relate to this uh, in the sense that my parents were absolutely like, my dad's a doctor. My parents were completely focused on math and science and the arts was not even a thing. It was like, well, you can do that in your spare time. Like, you know, if you want to be a writer, you can be a writer, but you really need to be a doctor first. So that was the focus. And I think for me, I just, it was never, um, it was never something I was interested in. I just, for some reason, always gravitated towards the arts, maybe because I wasn't encouraged to do that. And you know, still have my family, I think they finally understand what I do when I say I'm an entertainment lawyer. I think they, you know, my mom for a long time was like, why don't you just become a tax lawyer? It's a very, you know, steady job. And 
uh, definitely was not interested in that. So yeah, it's the, it's the complete opposite. I come from a family that was absolutely not an artsy entertainment type family. I think that's so interesting that it seems like you sort of went against the grain, um, but almost in a way like found your own happy medium, right? Because you're an accomplished lawyer, but you're also a lawyer specializing in something really interesting and, and really, really specialized and different. Um, and so, you know, you get jump to when you get your first influencer client in 2013. Like, what did that look like? Because I know that today, and we'll get to this later, you know, you working with influencers, like that looks different. I think that with every different client, I feel like uh, you work with influencers, you work maybe on the, you know, with brands, like on all sides of it, it seems. Um, You'll correct me if I'm wrong, but tell us, you know, the very first influencer client, like what did that look like? And especially back in 2013. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Yeah, so for me, it was learning about that world, like even the social media platforms at that time, for example, Instagram was not huge in 2013. It's, it was all about Facebook, like Facebook was a thing and YouTube was a thing. But, but even then, I mean, things have changed so quickly in such a short amount of time. But back then it was just like, oh, I find, you know, creative people interesting. Um, I wanted to work with, with creative types that were creating content. And I, I realized very quickly there's this whole world on YouTube and I hadn't been paying that much attention to it, to be honest. But once I got a client in that space, I started paying attention to those platforms and just seeing like, wow, like these people are creating amazing content that I want to watch. And so that's, that's how it started was really being really loving the content and, and then understanding how the platform works. But most importantly, what really fascinated me in this influencer world was the fact that they own the distribution channel. And that was an incredible thing because I had been working in indie film for a long time and representing filmmakers and creative people in that space that had no leverage, you know, like they would bust their asses and make an amazing film and have to hand it over for $30,000 to some distributor who had the ability to put it on screen somewhere. Whereas with influencer clients, they actually own their channel. They own their YouTube channel. They own their, um, you know, Instagram platform or their Facebook platform. They, they brought the audience, you know, they didn't need to depend on a third party to bring the audience. And so that to me was so fascinating because overnight I started representing clients that had, um, had the power and the leverage. And that was a, that was a really amazing, you know, turn of events. Yeah, absolutely. And that is certainly something that's really unique about the influencer space. I mean, we talk about this a lot. It's like, you know, we're such a unique industry. You described it earlier as the wild, wild west, which I've said many times, like, I hope that we get past that (laughs) because we should be, you know, I get why it was that it it absolutely was. I just, my hope is that we, we get past it sooner than later. Like we, we should be working out those kinks by now, you know? And so, you know, this is our industry that we're in though. It's so unique. 
Um, and one of the ways absolutely is that you own your own distribution channel and how powerful that is. Um, I was speaking with somebody just yesterday, even who represents talent, you know, she works more on the celebrity side. Um, and I was like, it's so fascinating to me when, you know, you have an influencer who really blows up, um, you know, their following is in the millions and they're in a position where, like, all right, well, now I'm here. So now my goals have probably changed. More doors have certainly opened up. I don't really necessarily have to do just these brand deals anymore. Like, what do I want to do now? Um, and, and that's sort of an open question. And I feel like that's so fun to sort out because it really then goes to some real soul searching to say like, all right, like, what do I really want to do with this platform? Do I want to, um, she was talking about how some of her clients, you know, were using it for more for social good to like be a little bit more political, for example, because they didn't necessarily, um, want to just do brand deals all day, every day. And some people are like, that's going to be a brand killer, you know, oh my gosh, to open up your mouth and, and talk a little bit about what you're passionate about, which is crazy. So that sort of leads me to ask you, I'm sure you've worked with some maybe conservative companies, uh, corporations, and they're putting a lot of different clauses and contracts in regards to reasons to terminate things that the influencer shouldn't be doing, et cetera, et cetera. And we're in a very politically, socially charged climate. Um, when, you know, the beginning of 2020, well, probably like mid 2020, when all of this was like at its peak, it felt like there were a lot of questions in our, in our private Facebook group of whim in particular about like, like, you know, I'm seeing this in a contract, like, but you know, my client feels like they don't want to be silenced. You know, they're not saying anything that's going to hurt anybody, but I mean, there's so many things going on right now. And I have this platform that I want to utilize for good because I can, and I have a power to do so. And you know, but I, I also want, I, you know, I've got somebody else paying my paycheck at the end of the day. You know, and I think that it is fascinating that you've you've really navigated both sides. You've advocated for all different parties in relation to a brand deal. So this is a long-winded way of asking, you know, how have how has this changed in 2020 in regards to, you know, clauses like that in a contract? And how do you sort of advise people on the best ways to navigate things like that? What I have seen, and especially in the past year, are issues when a client has, when they were much younger, done or said something stupid. And unfortunately, you know, they were not educated about a cause or an issue and they, they said some things and that comes back to haunt them because you have people on the internet, you know, trolls who frankly have nothing better to do than to try to dig up dirt on people. And then they end up bringing these things back into like, you know, today's world. And, and then that becomes an issue. And so what we've done is, so there's morals clauses and contracts. And I think that's what you're referring to in the sense that, you know, a brand will put a morals clause in saying, if, you know, if you do something that causes us ridicule or scandal or embarrassment, you know, degrades or denigrates our brand in some way, then we're going to terminate this contract and probably not make, pay, not pay you your fee and also maybe even ask for the feedback. 
So in general, those have always been very broad and we haven't really had to worry about those. But because of the climate we're in and because of trolls, we have had to try to scale those back. And so what we try to do is say, if there's any act or conduct on behalf of our client during the term or you know, future conduct within the next year after the term of this contract, then they have the right to terminate, you know, not pay, maybe ask for the feedback. So we're trying to narrow that scope to prevent something that happened 10 years ago from coming back to haunt our client. So we try to do that. The other thing we do is we try to do a reverse morals clause, which means that it's also on the brand. If the brand does something that embarrasses our client or, you know, like for instance, you know, the CEO of Uber, you know, coming under fire, I believe it was, it was the CEO of Uber, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, there's many companies out there that are also getting in trouble these days for bad behavior or treating their employees badly. And talent doesn't want to be associated with that. So we try to nowadays put in that reverse morals clause saying, well, it's also on the brand. You know, if you're going to do something that is terrible and the whole world thinks is terrible, then my client doesn't want to be associated with you anymore either. So, so that's been also a new development. And so question about, you know, these, these red lines of these contracts, right? Like want to think on a really practical basis. There are a lot of managers, agents who are part of the group and they're just as passionate about their talent, right? Like they're like, I want to advocate for them. I've got these great ideas. Like, you know, oh, I listened to the WIM podcast and Anita shared this idea about a reverse morals clause and I want to add that into my next contract. That's good. Is there, you know, we also have to think about it from a practical level, right? Like if it's a thousand dollar contract, how heavily are you redlining the contract versus, you know, is there a minimum threshold? What practical advice could you give, um, you know, whether it's lawyer, other lawyers in the space or, you know, a lot of managers or talent directly that are just redlining contracts in regards to what they're redlining, how hard they're pushing, um, what advice would you give to people on the practical side of redlining contracts? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I've probably really annoyed a lot of agency and brand people right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry in advance, but no, look, every contract is a negotiation, right? Every contract has to be, when you're looking at a contract, it's a risk benefit analysis, right? You're looking at the brand, you're looking at the client, you're trying to figure, you know, you're looking at the fee. Sure. I mean, if it's a thousand dollar deal, I'll be honest with you. We don't do thousand dollar deals. Like our clients deals are quite a bit bigger, but we, we definitely do that whole analysis in our minds. You know, we'll send, not all of our red lines are the same. We don't follow just some cut and paste formula, right? Like we assess a bunch of different factors and, sometimes the client really wants to do the deal. And so we'll accept less than we normally would. Right. And that's another factor that we consider. Sometimes it's a, it's an advertising agency. We work with a lot. We trust them. You know, we're able, we know they're going to pay. We know they're going to, you know, be respectful in terms of rounds of approvals, et cetera. So all those factors come into play when we redline any, any contract and, and sure, some are more heavily redlined than others. And, and it's just, it's a really case by case, uh, situation. I will say, I will tell you, the reverse morals clause is very difficult to get into contracts. Uh, and is it something that, you know, is a deal breaker? Maybe, maybe if we're concerned about the brand, but many times it's not a deal breaker. 
And the difficulty is, is like, I don't know. I love analyzing all this stuff. Like I, I really enjoy the theory of contracts and what it is to, to at the, its core, you know, protect everybody involved. And that's one of the many reasons I was really excited to get you on today. But I also think that it's incredibly, hugely important to just be honest with everybody about the practicalities of it all, um, especially because so much of influencer marketing are people trying to do this at scale. So there is, you know, there are two, in my mind, two sort of very different cases where, you know, uh, we're talking about, you know, more celebrity influencers where it's a large deal. They probably do fewer deals. And so every single one is of utmost importance. They might be the only one uh, talent who's on that partnership. So yes, absolutely. There's more time, more care, more thought, and um, more understanding, I think, of of both sides when trying to negotiate that deal. Um, That's sort of like an understood. Um, And then, you know, there are the people who are trying to do it more at scale. They're the, you know, anywhere from nano to, you know, mid-tier influencers. Um, and sometimes even bigger than that, just depending on the influencer themselves and sort of what they, how they operate their business. You know, I, I think that it's really important to sort of infuse that into any negotiation, any conversation, um, because, you know, one real point that I've heard people say is like, I don't want to like embarrass myself. Like I want to, I want to really truly work best on behalf of my client or as an influencer, I don't want to embarrass myself as I'm going into there, you know, with guns blazing (laughs) to negotiate a deal, especially, um, people who are, um, advocating for themselves. There's also sort of a fear perhaps that, uh, is associated with their work, right? Like they don't want to lose out on um, a future deal because, oh, that person was so pushy or that person was such a pain to work with. Um, so, you know, I have experienced probably maybe what you have, which is if you're advocating, if you're negotiating so many deals on behalf of other people over a long course of time, like that fear sort of dissipates. <laughs> I'd assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, you don't really feel that as often. Um, but for those who do, because they don't do it all the time, or they, you know, they fear that their livelihood could be affected because of how they negotiated this deal. What advice would you give to these predominantly women who are negotiating maybe uh, like to, to, to do it and to be confident in what they're asking? Sure. Um, well, I would say, first of all, you know, the way that, that we approach things and, and I as an attorney have always approached things. And when I say we, I'm just referring to my firm. I'm, I'm used to using we now, but it doesn't have to be an adversarial process every single time. Like we're not in litigation. It's not, you know, that type of relationship. It's influencer marketing can be a win-win for everybody. And that's always the way that that I like to approach every deal. And I suggest that other people approach every deal that way, right? It doesn't have to be adversarial. Having said that, there are some basics that, you know, if you're in, if you're negotiating a deal yourself and your talent that you should ask for, you know, that like to make sure you get paid in good time, to make sure you don't have to do a whole bunch of edits and, and rounds of approvals, et cetera, because, you know, your time is valuable and your time is money. And, and so I think it's really just approaching the whole process you know, speaking to people respectfully, understanding that everyone wants the same outcome, which is to 
create amazing content, you know, for any given brand. And I think if you, you know, approach it that way, um, people respect that. I think people also respect, and, and this is something that I think, unfortunately, especially for women is they don't hear enough, but people respect when you take a stand and when you know your value. And that is so important. And I think if you go into negotiations and you don't ask for what you are actually worth, then people aren't going to pay you what you're worth, right? Because you're not asking for it. So it's, you know, know your value, be respectful and ask for, ask for the basics, you know? Yeah. And, and it's important. And, and as an attorney, obviously we're going to ask for more because we're attorneys and that's our job. But if you're doing it on your own, I think those are just kind of basic tenets to follow. And I, I think we, I think we have to dig into this more because this is, you know, this is such a good topic. Um, I feel like so many people listening how can relate to this and, you know, look, I, I personally live my life with, I don't want to operate out of fear, right? Like that's the worst way to approach Absolutely. anything. How, yeah. And so, and so in this instance, going into any negotiation with fear of, you know, them rejecting you or fear of them pushing back or thinking some sort of way about you. Like, I feel like you just got to get over that because that's the worst way to get into a negotiation. Um, So my question to you, and I'd love for you to just sort of chat, like talk through this with um, the women of our group, you know, like just ways to psychologically ramp yourself up and, 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 um, you know, you said, know your value, you know, what is your value here? Like how, what, what talk about like the, the confidence that comes with it, how to psychologically sort of approach, uh, uh, you know, these, these discussions when the stakes are high. Sure. I mean, I think the most important thing, and I learned this, you know, a long time ago, but it took, it took a while to learn it. I learned to not be attached to the outcome. And that's really difficult, but that is, it's so helpful, you know, which doesn't mean you want to lose deals. It just means it's not the end of the world. If you don't get a deal, you know, it's probably for the best, frankly, and it probably was meant to be, and it's probably clearing the way for something better to come along. So that psychologically, like that changes the way you think, because you're like, any given deal is not the end all and be all, right? So you know, not being attached to the outcome is helpful. Know your value is just, if somebody is offering you a deal, you obviously, you already have some value, right? Like somebody wants to work with you. So remind yourself of that. Like these people, there are thousands of people from that to work with and they're choosing you. So that's, that's also something to remind yourself of, um, instead of focusing on so much on the deal and, and, getting the deal is just taking a step back and knowing that you've been offered it in the first place. So that should give you some confidence and, and just like sort of setting, like, what is the minimum, like the way I approach any negotiation is what is the minimum I'm willing to settle for? And it's not about winning and losing. Like I said, you know, just go back to the reverse morals clause. Do we always get it? No. Do I feel terrible about myself if we don't? Absolutely not. I would probably feel terrible about myself if I didn't ask for it. You know, so I asked for it. I didn't get it. I did an analysis in my head. Is this, you know, worth walking? Is this a deal breaker? No, it's not. Let's move on. And I don't even think about it again. 
So I think understanding what it, what is the minimum that you're willing to accept and sticking to that, you know, and then being able to walk if you're not getting that minimum and the minimum obviously being tied directly into your value. You know, what, what do you think? Like if a thousand dollars is the minimum you're willing to accept, you shouldn't accept anything less. hundred percent. Um, and are there any, are there any, best practices or like even like stylistic things and even how you present the red lines, right? Like, do you just say like, here are red lines? We are absolutely in a relationship business. Um, And I I think that uh, that's so important to infuse into any um, interactions that you have. And especially when you're, you know, let's say you've got a document where it's like bloody, like it is red lined (laughs) and it's like, you know, do you hop on a, on a phone? Do you say, Hey, like, you know, is there some sort of caveat that you send or you just confidently and, and in the same way present, any sort of red lines? How would you approach that? What are the nuances of that? Well, I've I've never heard a red line being described as bloody, but I will forever remember that now. So basically, I so again, it's a case by case basis, right? If it's if it's somebody you work with a lot and they're they can handle you know a heavily red line document, then maybe there wouldn't be an explanation that comes with it. I personally uh, believe that. You should explain if, if you're going to send something over that's just you slashed and burned, then there's a reason for it. Right. And so we usually try to give explanations like in the body of the email where we'll say, like, you know, attached to the red line for your review. You know, please note that we removed many sections because it's not applicable to this particular deal for this client. So just giving them a heads up. Um, I'm Canadian, you know, I always try to be nice. So it's just in my nature to be polite, to say, thank you. We appreciate it to, to really, you know, put a positive spin on things. Cause like I said, it's not, it's not an adversarial relationship, you know, it's not litigation. We're not fighting. Everybody wants the same outcome and is hoping to reach a deal. So I always try to be positive and, and also, you know, if we're very close, like I want to say, hey, we're really close. There's just a couple of remaining issues. You know, I think, again, presentation is important. As you said, we're in a relationship business. I'm not in the business of, you know, pissing people off. It's why do I want to do that? I don't want to do that. I'm not that attorney. So I'm, I'm in the business of making deals happen and closing deals. And so, you know, it's very rare that we end up in a situation where we're fighting with people. And I think that like, I I hear you on the non-adversarial thing. And while that may be your perspective, the other side, you can't control, right? Like you can't control how they feel and what they're trying to achieve. Like they might just be like, oh my gosh, I'm so, I, I've got so much going on. My client is breathing down my neck. I just need to get these signed ASAP. And this person is making it a little bit more difficult for me to do that as quickly as I need. Um, so it might not be like adversary, but there's so many, of course, like instances and reasons why somebody would just be a little bit like tripped up if, if you, you know, are pushing back on something, anything, and not just immediately signing a contract. Right. Um, I think that like what I, what I, the, in another very unique part of working in this industry is it's like, it's a pretty young industry, young and inexperienced. Mm-hmm. And so while you are, you know, you're <laughs> a lawyer, you, 
in in the industry, you're young. I mean, not you're like <laughs> you are. You could be dealing with a 20 year old right out of school. Like you just don't know who you're dealing with on the other end. And I feel like that is just like, is that challenging for you? There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive-thru workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. So I will say that, I mean, maybe I've just been really lucky and, and I'm dealing with very professional people all the time. And sure, I don't know how old people are on the other side. And and I, I would I would slightly disagree with you a little bit in the sense that I do actually think, you know, of course you can't control what people are, are thinking or doing on the other side, but you can definitely, you know, in your approach and in the way that you speak to people and communicate with people, you can definitely, um, you know, control like their reaction to you, you know, like you're not coming in with guns blazing, you're I always, you know, put in emails like please let me know if you have questions, things like that. So I I think that, you know, that like I said before, that approach really helps. Um I do find that people will respond to us at times and say, you know, we if if you know we can't sort of accept this many red lines is are there places where you guys can pull back because this is just going to take forever to get through our legal and we need to close the deal and i appreciate that i appreciate that transparency and it's absolutely something we can work with and when we do get an email like that we do take a look at the contract we're not again this is what i'm talking about in terms of working to close a deal as opposed to like stall a deal or blow up a deal you know, if we get an email like that, I'm, I'm going to look at that seriously. And I'm going to, I'm going to look at what we can pull back, if anything. And also while consulting with the client, of course, and their team and saying, you know, we're going to pull this back, you know, is that okay with you? And, and so, yeah, it's, it's really about communication and transparency. And, but, you know, at the same time, there has to be a minimum number of asks, right? Like there has to be, you can't just, we can't just have clients sign every contract as is or minimally redlined in every case. So it's really just finding that balance. And and I find honestly, every year that, that in influencer marketing, that people are getting more experienced, people are getting more used to it. People are more used to seeing attorneys involved. And, and so that's been helpful. And to that point, are you seeing contracts? Like how, how have you seen contracts evolve, you know, since 2013 when, when you first started in the influencer space? I mean, I've seen contracts that are, you know, over 10, 10 plus pages long. I've seen contracts that, you know, look like it was done, you know, and created on a piece of like toilet paper. <laughs> Like, like there's basically nothing to it. I mean, what are you seeing in regards to standards and, and, you know, um, and, and sort of, uh, best practices, um, because a lot of these brands and agencies are, um, becoming better suited to protect themselves and, um, are adding clauses left and right just to, you know, as they learn, throughout the process. Um, and so are there sort of any 
like any regularities that you're seeing or anything new that you've seen that you're like, oh, I'm seeing this more often. This is interesting. Yeah. So I've definitely seen contracts improving. There's no doubt about it. But again, it depends on who's sending us it, right? Like if you're working with a big agency like an Adelman or someone like that, like they have attorneys and they have attorneys doing their contracts. So they're fairly comprehensive. Um, and then, you know, if you work with smaller brands who don't have agencies or le- in-house legal, then yeah, that's where you see the one page contracts and, and we need to, you know, beef those up and add some language in there to protect our clients. So there's a wide variety. I think it's definitely getting better. Even, even the big agencies and the bigger brands, like, you know, a Procter and Gamble, I mean, you can imagine like their contracts, I'm sure you've seen them. They're very thorough. They're quite long. They have standard terms and conditions in tiny print. Um, and those that's always been the case because they're just lawyered up, right? Like they've always been. Um, but there's there definitely, I think people are getting better at understanding concepts specific to influencer marketing, such as usage, right? Like how does the brand get to use the deliverables? And like, no, you don't get to, uh, you know, use their Instagram posts uh, forever. Like you don't get to use that content in perpetuity, et cetera. I think people are getting better at understanding that those terms and that terminology. And also the talent is getting better at understanding what, what the brands need and the, and that's being reflected in contracts for sure. We're definitely seeing people getting more used to the way things work, the, the language specific to influencer marketing, that's, I'm definitely seeing an improvement there for sure. And, you know, that's so, that's, that's really good to hear. I, I, I think that to your point about some of these huge companies that are very lawyered up, like you've said, um, they will approach uh, an, a deal by saying, here's the contract, none of this is negotiable. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and what, like, do Which, you push way, back I'm on that, that or do you just, I absolutely push back at that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, do you take that at face value? Just like, okay, well that makes my life easier. Like, do you, so you push back, what do you, what, what, like, do you immediately push back? Do you like, cause you know, your time is valuable. So it's like, you know, you could go in and start redlining the contract and then send it back. Or do you immediately just say like, Hey, I mean, that's not how we work. Like we want the opportunity at least to review this. Like that's, you know, how, how do you initially even approach that conversation? So I, I'm still a big believer in using the phone, which a lot of people don't want to really pick up phones anymore, but I, I'm, I never hesitate to call somebody and to just say, Hey, look, like, you know, you, you said this over, you said it's non-negotiable, but frankly, many of these terms don't even make sense for this deal. So we can't sign as is and just try to explain it logically, you know, and, and many times that resonates with people and people are like, oh, okay, right. Okay. Got it. Because frankly, they haven't even read the, their own contract. They're just sending it. So, so a lot of times I think just remaining calm, <laughs> explaining things logically, picking up a telephone all of those things help um, instead of just firing off some nasty email, you know, being like, like F you, like, you know, we, we need to redline this and blah, blah, blah. This is ridiculous. Like, again, it's all in the approach and, and that's not what we do. We, we just try to explain, you know, why, why we need to make some changes. But that is like, isn't that so insulting <laughs> when you get something like that? 
I mean, I, I look, I just, I don't take it personally, right? Like it's just business. It just makes me laugh. I mean, I also think frankly, the person who's telling me it really isn't the person making that decision. Somebody's just telling them to say this, like just tell the lawyer this. So I don't hold it against that person and I never take anything personally. I just, it's kind of like an eye roll and like, let's move on and like, just get it done. For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, are you seeing anything else, you know, consistently in contracts? Like is anything, or have there been any shifts where you're like, Ooh, I'm be, you know, because of the political climate, I'm seeing a little bit more of this, or I'm seeing more long-term deals or, you know, I don't know anything. What are you, are, you know, are there any sort of trends that you've seen in the past year? Well, I mean, a huge trend has to do with takedown rights and, a hundred percent takedown rights on the, on the part of the brands. Like they, no questions asked, like they have takedown rights period. So if it used to be that we could negotiate like, Oh, a client will make something private or, you know, they'll unlist it or something, but now it's just full on a hundred percent. We have the right to take it down. No questions asked for any reason whatsoever, because again, because of the climate we're in, they, um, they want to be very careful about, you know, if something comes up, uh, about, you know, a particular talent that they don't want to be associated with, or, you know, their messaging is being taken the wrong way and they just immediately need something removed. So definitely those takedown rights have become completely non-negotiable. And what about like, I mean, when I think of like very key clauses, like, uh, payment clauses, termination clauses, things like that, you know, are there any, you know, what, are there any, um, important things to just always take into consideration or ways to approach some of those like key clauses that you're always going to see in a contract um, to be able to best serve yourself and, and what you're looking to achieve. Sure. So we try to make every contract pay or play. And what that means is that's a very entertainment specific term, which is even if you don't use the client services or you don't use their deliverables, you still have to pay them once the contract is signed. Um, providing, of course, that they're not in breach of the contract. And that's just us saying like, look, you know, our clients setting aside the time to like create this content now, they're passing on other deals that may conflict with this particular deal. So just know that, you know, if if the contract's signed, you, know, you decide not to move forward for whatever reason um, without cause, then you still have to pay the client. So we try to do everything pay or play. And the other thing is we try to make sure there's like specific dates that a client's going to get paid. So I don't like to see language where it's like after 30 days after deliverables posted, because sometimes, you know, they say the brand will say, Oh, can you hold off on posting? We're actually want you to post it next quarter um, for, you know, a number of different reasons. And so, you know, we try to say things like, well, you know, it's, it's the earlier of 30 days after it's posted or, you know, February 1st or whatever it happens to be. So just some more certainty there in those payment clauses and, um, you know, exclusivity is also very important. Like making sure that we understand what our client can and can't do, like what competitors they're able to work with and what that's, you know, how much time they have before they can work with a competitor. So that's also something we try to be really careful about in the language. And in regards to especially exclusivity, um, you know, we have experienced and a lot of women in the group have experienced, we're talking about this um, 
oh, on our one of our networking calls a couple weeks ago, where they're like, you know, you come up with the basic terms of the agreement, the terms of the deal, and then you get the contract and it's totally different. I was actually working on a, a deal just like a couple days ago where I explicitly said exclusivity, mm-hmm. none. And then you get the contract and it's like, you know, a month of exclusivity. Um, and, you know, it's like, whatever, you can give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they it's just an error, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I guess my question to you is as the lawyer on the deal, I would assume there are instances where you start negotiating deal terms and then you start negotiating money as well, because it's like, okay, well, we didn't initially talk about the exclusivity, but like this client actually, like they're not doing anything with a competitor. So we're fine if you do want to add it in, it's just going to cost more money. So I guess it's just a, a question to you and your firm and how you guys work on those. Like, um, do your, and maybe it's different for each influencer perhaps, but are you also negotiating the, the financial piece as well? Or do you sort of then defer that back to an agent or a manager? So most of our clients, uh, if not all, have representation. So they have agents and managers or one or the other. So we don't negotiate a lot of deals, the financial terms um, necessarily. Usually we'll get the paperwork after those terms have been worked out. And in an email, we'll be told like, this is the payment, this is the exclusivity, et cetera. And then we're double checking the contract. Sometimes we'll work with uh, agents and managers and we'll put our heads together to figure out rates because we've done, you know, we have a ton of market knowledge, right? Because we represent so much talent, we, we know what people are paying. So, you know, we can, we can help in that way. Um, so in terms of, yeah, negotiating the numbers, sometimes we get involved, sometimes we don't. I will say that in, in cases that you're talking about, like where a brand said there's going to be no exclusivity and then the contract asks for one month. We'll obviously double check and say, is that, you know, is this supposed to be here? Because just heads up, it's, you know, our discussions, there was no exclusivity. Now it says one month. And if they say, oh, yeah, yeah, by the way, sorry about that. We, we actually need a month. Then we will absolutely ask for additional uh, payments for that. And, and are there any instances... So here, maybe the exclusivity is obvious, right? That there would be money associated with that. But what about like a swipe up link or whitelisting access where, you know, what I hear from people is like, oh, I mean, like everybody includes that. We, you should have assumed that that was part of it. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what do you, how yeah. do you, how do you, are you seeing the same thing? How are you dealing with that? Yeah. It, so it depends on the client and sort of how big that client is and sort of how much leverage you have in that sense. Sometimes we'll push back and say, no, actually, because whitelisting, frankly, is boosting a post, right? So that's getting it out there to more people and basically like using that creative asset um, and getting greater mileage out of it, right? So because you're getting greater mileage out of it with whitelisting, boosting, et cetera, then you should have to pay a little bit extra for that. That's how we see it. Um, But again, like sometimes is it worth the fight, right? Like sometimes the fee is so good that you're like, ah, whatever, like that's fine, you know? And, and sometimes the fees not, or it was discussed and they, you know, an agreement had been made and then they're going back on, on what they had agreed to. So it really depends on the particular situation. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would absolutely 
ask for additional fees for those because in my mind, are they getting additional mileage out of the deliver deliverable is the question. And I feel like all of those things get that, right? And I also approach it from looking at, you know, what was traditional media, right? Like how much it costs to actually produce a commercial. And and this form of marketing is is so much better than that because you can actually measure the engagement. You know, like, so there is a huge amount of value in that. I mean, you can literally see the demographics of who's clicked on a link, who's, you know, who's like watched something and, and who's like gotten that messaging. So the, the numbers, when you look at what people were paying back in the day for like a 30 second commercial versus like an integrated YouTube video, I mean, these, the brands and agencies are getting like an, an awesome deal and, and being able to measure engagement at this unprecedented rate. So, so, you know, that's, that's how I look at it personally. And I just want, I just want it to be fair. That's all. I mean, that's also something that's a big deal for me is just fairness. Like everyone needs to be fair. And, and look, we do work for some agencies as well. Like where we don't have conflicts, we do work with agencies and so I also understand and I see their point of view. And I think, I think being, making sure everybody gets a fair deal is important. It is very important um, because also to our earlier point, the more fairness that there is and the more that you walk away from that negotiation and you head into that partnership. I mean, let's not forget it's a partnership and it's going to last a, a while after that initial negotiation is over and hopefully it'll be a repeat business. And so, you know, approaching it all in that same spirit is hugely important. Um, so I, I think that's also one of the really big distinctions about your firm in particular and the work that you're doing and why people should um, definitely uh, reach out um, is because of the market knowledge that you guys do have. Um, obviously, having been in it for the length of time that you have, but in addition, in from all perspectives, you know that you're on the influencer side. You've also acted on behalf of the agency side, like you said, when there are no conflicts. And so, I think that you know there are very there are fewer people that can say that than the than the alternative. Um, and I, I I see I have seen the value of that since the first time we chatted. I was like. Oh, she really knows what she's talking about. Um, and so I, we asked this question of everybody who comes on. I'd love, love, love to hear your answer. Um, it's a more personal question um, that, you know, really gets to the core of who you are professionally as well. Um, the question being, what do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or a personal advantage today? Sure. So that's a great question. It's very, very James Lipton. Um, <laughs> love it. So first of all, I just want to say thank you for the kind words. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, we've worked really hard and we've created a real niche for ourselves in, in the influencer world and in influencer marketing. So thank you for that. It's, it's nice to be, to be recognized. And I, I appreciate that. So in terms of the question, well, I, so can I answer it in two parts? Can I sort of give you two, two answers? Because so there is something that somebody told my younger self that at the time I was just like, whatever, that doesn't even make any sense. But now that I'm older, I realize how important it was. And this person, I was disappointed about something that hadn't worked out an opportunity. And this person said to me, 
you will end up exactly where you need to be. And at that time, I was like, what is that? That just sounds like gibberish to me. But but it is true. You know, my career has been a zigzag. You know, there has been no direct line. It has been a complete zigzag to sort of get to here. Um, and I have always ended up exactly where I needed to be, you know, at, at any given point in time. So so that was that's something that I, I remind myself when I feel disappointed about things that haven't worked out necessarily professionally. So that that was helpful to hear when I was younger. I didn't get it until later, but that was something that stuck with me. In terms of things that I something I wish someone had told my younger self, I think it's it's definitely that it's not personal. You know, like don't take things personally. If if somebody sends you like a, a snippy email or somebody is, you know, rejects you in a sense, like you don't get the job, you don't get the client. It's not personal. And while you might spend, you know, days kind of like thinking about it, that person is not thinking about you. <laughs> you know, like they're really not like they've moved on. You're not that important, to be honest. Like you don't take up everyone's thoughts all the time. So it's that, you know, just don't take it personally and and don't sweat the small stuff. And that once I sort of let go of that, um, my life became a lot easier and, and less stressful. And I, I had less anxiety because I just was like, it's not personal and I'm moving on, you know? Well, I think that in the position that you're in, um, in order to be successful in it, in order to enjoy what you do for a living, you have to live by that. Um, you're in these incredible, you're, you know, you're in stressful negotiate, what could absolutely be stressful negotiations. And um, you have to build a, a callus to being able to approach it in that way. Um, and so I applaud you because it, it uh, you have to be practicing what you preach in that instance, or else you wouldn't be in the position that you're in. Um, yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't feel stressed or, or get, you know, take things personally. I just try to take a step back and sort of, you know, talk myself out of, you know, sort of being really down about anything in particular, but sure I get stressed and, and I take things personally. I just don't let it sort of, um, you know, affect me for days. And, you know, I'm, I'm a sensitive Pisces. So can I tell you, I have to I am sensitive and it does get to me, but like I said, I just, you know, I'm able to let go of it faster. I love Pisces. This Capricorn adores Pisces. <laughs> well, my daughter's a Capricorn, so that's good to hear. Oh, nice. Nice. That's, we're rare. If I, I don't meet that many Capricorns. I love oh, that. Interesting. Yeah. I love that so much. So look, I, I think that, um, I appreciate you saying that. I think that self-awareness is like the first step in being able to just like live a better life, a more full life, right? Where you're like, look, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that, but I'm self-aware enough to just like say, this is where I'm at and this is what I want to do with it. And sometimes you're able to achieve what you want to do with that feeling. And other times you're not, or other times it just takes longer to deal with it, but you know, it's practice makes perfect with, or other times it's just, you know, a nice glass of wine and that takes care of it. So (laughs) that's for sure. (laughs) That's for sure. 
It's been such a pleasure having you on today and sort of getting to know you over time. I'm so like grateful that we are put in touch. I think that, um, look like the legal side of our industry really, in my opinion, is the backbone to what we all do. We wouldn't be able to, to do it. Um, and, and to do it in a, in a legitimate way if we all didn't have that. So I appreciate you. I encourage everybody listening, um, when they do, when they're looking for somebody to help them on the legal side of things to get in touch with you. So what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Um, Well, yeah, thank you for that. Definitely through my LinkedIn is probably best. And I say that just because I wouldn't want someone to email me and for it to get lost. And you know, what are hundreds of emails a day (laughs) that I'm dealing with? So LinkedIn, um, I can go to and kind of check separately. So that's, that's definitely a good way to, to reach out. I would love to connect with people and, you know, please do feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'll always get back to you, uh, you know, hundred percent of the time. So, so please feel free to reach out. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anita, for being on today. It was such Thank a you. pleasure. I appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. And good luck with that, uh, with everything you're doing. You too. Thank okay. you. Take care. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments. So comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work, have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99-cent any-size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full-apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. ba ba ba